Welcome to Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax, every Saturday from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. My mission is to stick to the three P's, delivering to you advice, guests, and data that are practical, profitable, and plain English. I'm the owner and team leader of Platinum Realty Team here in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Look, we sell our clients' homes in half the average time and for 3.8% more than the average area real estate agent. So look, here's the deal. If you need to sell your home, we've got you covered because right now I have over 886 buyers actively seeking a home here in the Delaware Valley. These are buyers who are on retainer, they're pre-qualified, they're ready to make an offer on the right home. So just visit www.warrenhasthebuyers.com to match up your home with one of these ready-to-act buyers now. That's warrenhasthebuyers.com. Today's show is all about emptying the nest. I mean, do you really need that big house anymore? This trend is obviously continuing to dominate the world of real estate as baby boomers continue aging. So, you know, I brought in the expert. Drew Dickinson is with me from Platinum Realty Team. And, Drew, let's talk about, you know, selling the place that you've called home for many years. And we've got a report here that we can talk about and get right into some of these issues that folks are dealing with. And, you know, what's the first thing off the bat that I need to be thinking about if I'm going to be emptying the nest? Well, you definitely want to know why you're selling. I mean, typically you're going to, if you're emptying your nest, that, that could be why you're selling. You're stuck with a with a, a gigantic house that you might not have use for anymore. When the kids are gone and you just have some uh, random visits from the grandkids from time to time, you don't necessarily need two or 3,000 square feet to take care of or the big yard or the big electric bill. Uh, sometimes people feel a little bit more comfortable downsizing. Reducing costs. Um, there's a, there's a number of reasons why someone might want to um, downsize in, in in the examples that we're talking about. So you want to know why you're selling, and you also want to keep that to yourself. So once you decide that you're going to make a move, okay, and there's people coming through your house, and you've gone through the entire process of getting your home listed and ready for sale, you don't necessarily want to tell people why you're moving. It doesn't matter why you're moving. A lot of buyers and buyer's agents will use any kind of angle they can to, um, so we say, kind of negotiate with that piece of information. That goes the same for divorce or downsizing or you lost your job or uh, short sales or death in the family. You don't want to give the other side more information than you have to because they'll find some way to use that against you. Yeah, I mean, this it, it seems pretty obvious, but, you know, it, it is a point worth making that um, buyers have their own agenda with what they're doing. They're looking at multiple properties. They're looking at it, my property as well as all of these others if I'm selling my home. And th there's some things that I could say that potentially could help me get the home sold, but I think you would agree. More often than not, if a seller's engaging a conversation with a buyer and a buyer agent, there's more that I could say that would hurt me absolutely than, than could help me, right? Sure. Just as a general rule, I tell people that the, the number one rule is just get out of the house so you don't even put yourself in that position when you're um, when the buyers do come through because, yes, you could tell them about the built-in bookshelves that were built from scratch and everything else, but you, you can often open yourselves up to liability and questions that you don't really want to be answering or just just in general, I tell people just, get out of the house it makes things a lot easier um there's there's a number of different reasons for that but primarily you don't want to be 
saying too much. You don't want to be giving away too much information, especially when it comes to your motivation for selling or, or what you would take. I mean, some people will say, yeah, we priced it here, but we'd really be happy with this. I mean, that's just, it sounds like common sense, but it's, it, it you know, it's got to be reiterated to people. Yeah, there's, there's no question that um, buyers and buyer agents are fishing for that kind of information, and it it could indicate that they have interest in the property, but now we've just given away some of the equity, and clearly that's not what we want to do. So you started this out with a great point. You said, know why you're selling, and you mentioned money. I would say that there's probably a couple of different aspects of money. Certainly, there's the notion that you touched on, which is, you know, you have a large home, and there's not a lot of people living in it, so the bills are higher than maybe we want. And so getting away from the, the extra utility bills, the maintenance, the cleaning, the yard, all of that you know, expense is a big deal and saving on that money. And then I would also say using the equity in the home to help fund what the next stage of my life is going to be. So you know, am I looking to downsize so that I could have two homes? Maybe I want to use all the equity in the home that I've built up so that I could have a home here in the Delaware Valley and then also a home in Florida or wherever it is that I, I decided I want to retire to. So, so there's that strategy. And what's important about that and why we're talking about this and recommending that you think this stuff through is the different strategies and the different important reasons for you moving impact how you're going to go about this home sale. If you're being strangled by the monthly bills, then clearly you've got to move quickly. You've got to get right. out of this because it, it could be choking you, particularly if you're finding your next home first, which we do recommend. We'll talk about that later. However, if this is more of a long-term strategy and you have a little bit more play, you could maybe get your home on the market earlier. You could play the market a little bit longer. You know, There's different ways to do this, so you want to think that through. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, not everyone's got their 401k set aside for the retirement. Some people are using their home as a retirement vehicle, which I can't argue with that. I mean, if you, you buy smart and you you do what you're supposed to do in terms of upkeep on your home and, and paying the bills down and, and doing what you need to do, you're going to wind up with a, a great piece of your retirement being your home. And like Warren said, if you want to, some people, you know, still have family, kids, grandkids in the area. They don't necessarily want to move or just pick up and move to Florida. But like you said, they can parlay that one home into two smaller homes and two future investment vehicles if you're doing Yeah, and let's right. be clear. I know some of the investment advisors out there are going to tell you, no, 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 don't use real estate because there was once a real estate crash in 2008. Yeah, right. let's talk about all the stock market crashes we've had in this country, okay? There's never been a safer investment than real estate. Nothing is, is of course, you know, bulletproof, but a long-term real estate strategy is is about as good as it gets in America. Look, you're, yeah. uh, if you're interested in this, we're talking about Emptying the Nest, and we do have a free report for you. Visit 1210EmptyNest.com. 1210, just like the number of this station, www.1210EmptyNest.com. These are things you need to know to make this a smooth transition. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Call me directly at 215-945-3000 or visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. So we're talking with Drew Dickinson from Platinum Realty Team about this report, you know, what I need to do if I'm emptying the nest. Um, and the second thing on this list here, Drew, is doing our homework before we set the price on the home. Talk to me about that. Sure, and that's that's paramount when you're deciding to price your home because depending on the, the strategy or, or when you need to be out of a home or, or where you're trying to go from there, there's a, a number of different things you need to take into consideration. Um, typically, you're gonna, 
as a general rule of thumb, and most sellers don't want to hear that, sellers think their house is worth more than it is, and buyers think your house is worth less than it is. That's just in general. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you know we don't see scenarios where both of those parties are right in different circumstances, but doing your homework is very important when it comes to pricing your home, okay? What that means to you is having a real estate agent that's going to look to see what everything around you is sold for that can provide you with real-time data of what's currently on the market because you want to know what your competition is. That's going to that means making sure that you're setting the home price at a number that you're comfortable with that allows you to do things um at what you know as you're trying to do these downsizing. Um well, what about uh what the neighbors say and what the mailman says? Right. Well, listen, if the neighbor or the mailman will buy your house from that inflated number that they're they're giving you by all means <laughs> give me a call we'll help you do the paperwork well-meaning family members sure them too say write me a check and i'll sell and i'll sell it to you for what for for that number um listen it gets tricky there's a lot of emotions that come into play when you're dealing with a house okay you've in a lot of cases you might have lived there 20 30 40 50 years so there's a lot of things that are tied up in a house and i 100 percent get that my parents talk about selling their house and i'm saying no I don't want you to sell your house. I'll buy it. I'm that guy. I'm in, I'm in the business, and I'm that that well-meaning family member that says, "Hey, I don't want anybody else living there. I'll buy it." So I do understand that. So and don't think that we approach this as just a strictly a numbers game. We come to that, and I understand. Hey, you're selling the living room where you changed your child's first diaper. You know, there's a lot of things that are wrapped up in a house. It's certainly not just an investment vehicle. It's certainly not just a way to make more money, okay? So there is, there's a lot of that involved and we just, it's, it's our job to help temper those emotions with information, okay? Because I'm not doing my job if I advise you to price your home for a number that is unrealistic. I'm literally, doing the opposite of my job. I'm costing you money, okay? And I can, that's one of the first things we do with people. We don't just say, hey, this price is for this. I, I show you, hey, these houses have sold for more than what you're looking for. These have sold for less than what you're looking for. What do you think about these houses right here? And typically, you know, you know your home better than anybody else. So I'm a firm believer in with the appropriate information, people come to the appropriate decisions. So that's, you know, I'm a purveyor of information. So I try to get you the right stats of, of what's sold for it. We can dial it into price per square foot. I mean, whatever um, type of information you need to make a, a proper decision. And of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my opinion on that front too. But the, the part about emotion is interesting when you start getting into negotiations as well. Because yeah. in, invariably, and I know we've touched on this in, in other shows, this is a big deal when we're talking about residential real estate, not an investment property, but a home that we've, we've made a home over a period of years. And when you start getting into actual numbers, whether it's pricing the home up front or whether it's when someone has made an offer uh, and we're into negotiations, there's no question that if I'm valuing the home based on how important it is to me, I'm not thinking clearly about it from the market perspective. And it is important to remember buyers didn't live in this home. The buyer's child didn't take their first steps in this home. Maybe they expect that to happen in the future, right. but their kid could take their first step in any home that's in this area you know, that they want to be in. So it's important to recognize that and acknowledge, definitely respect our emotions because they are real. 
and we have the right to them, but we also want to recognize that the buyer doesn't necessarily you know, value the home the same way we do, and, and the market doesn't for that matter. So this, this is all important when we're talking about emptying the nest. And look, if you're looking to sell your home, remember, I will actually buy your home if it doesn't sell. Visit www.warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Call me at 215-945-3000 to get your home sold now or visit www.warrenhasthebuyers.com for a free report that details our guaranteed sale program. So we're speaking with Drew Dickinson from Platinum Realty Team about empty nesters selling the home that you've been calling your home for a very, very long time. And we've got this report here, Drew, and we're, we're sort of going through what are the important things that I need to be considering when I'm sitting here, you know, talking about selling this home that I've been in a long time. And, and one of the items on this list is we need to find a quote-unquote good real estate agent to make sure they represent our needs. What does that mean? I mean, that seems really obvious, right? Like find a good agent. No kidding. But what does that mean? Anybody that's got a license, they're, they're a good real estate agent. They've been through the process, and of course, they're they're well they're well qualified. I'm just being facetious there. Uh, but uh, you know what? I mean, to a certain extent, they they, they did pass the litmus test that they are licensed with the state, right? Yeah, so exactly. Um, but for me, I like to have. I like again. I'm a big big fan of information, so I like giving potential sellers the information about us and our company, and letting them come to their conclusions. Um, so that being said, track record is obviously important. Unfortunately, and I, I know you've touched on this before, m- most, when I say most, I'm talking almost three quarters of people who have used an agent to buy or sell a home do not go back and use that same agent again. Yeah, the that, stat is 72% in the most recent survey. Right, that's that's, right. that's trouble for our industry. Um, at our company, we do tend to try to build a significant part of our business off of referrals and past clients and people who have uh, benefited from our services. So that's even a question that you might want to ask people, you know, where do they get their business? And, and, but you how about just interviewing? Let's face it. Um, (laughs) the decision of who to hire, um, I, I get it. Okay. There are a lot of people with real estate licenses. There are certain professions in our society that are viewed as, um, hard to get access to, you know, a pediatric neurosurgeon is one, all right? There's not that many. If if I have a need for that, 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 you know, if my child is sick, then that is something that I'm going to research. I'm going to look around. I'm going to take it very seriously for obvious reasons, okay? And then there are other professions that are viewed as commodities. And so we're, we're just cautioning you to understand that in a way that almost puts more of an onus on you to do your homework because the bar is pretty low to get a real estate license as compared to other professions in our society right now. That means that you could be dealing with anybody. And just because you know them or a friend says, you know, hey, this person was great, you're going to want to do a little bit more homework than that. So a couple of questions you really want to ask that I find most home sellers don't ask. Uh, When we talk about track record, let's define what that means, okay? First of all, number of years since I first got my real estate license is not a great indicator of how well someone does their job, okay? 
you could have gotten your real estate license 20 or 30 years ago, paid the fee every two years to keep it active, taken a couple of classes, literally it's just a few hours, and you can, can hold the real estate license for a long time. Okay, so not years. What you want to know if you're interviewing someone for the all-important job of selling your home for top dollar and getting it done right, not just getting it done, is how many homes does this person sell? Have they sold? Do they sell in a year? When they sell a home, what is the average asked-to-sold ratio? Meaning, when you ask a certain price, what percentage of that does this agent get for their clients? Because many agents overprice homes, and then their average sold price is dramatically less, and that really hurts you in the long run. What is the average days on market for the agent? So if you just ask these basic questions, obviously they should know this. Any professional should know their numbers, right? And just by comparing those, you're going to get a much better sense of who it is that you're dealing with, you know, potentially. The other thing I think we should touch on, Drew, is communication. When you mentioned earlier that very important statistic that 69 to 72% of home sellers do not go back and use the same agent again in the future, understand that the number one complaint about real estate agents across North America is poor communication. Yep. So that's a critical component and that's something you need to be speaking with your agent about. Absolutely. I mean, let's face it, when you're selling a house, that's in most cases your most valuable asset that you own. You wanna know what's going on with the process. I mean, going days and weeks without hearing from your agent or getting updates or getting direct feedback from the buyers who have come through your house is just completely unacceptable. Or how long does it take for you just to return my simple phone call? Right, That's it's it's obnoxious when you have that. And um, to kind of piggyback on your point, the second biggest complaint that we hear from, from sellers is that they're locked into these contracts that are three, six, nine months long and I think that's a direct result of you know, you, the poor communication is the direct result of that. Like, hey, I got you tied up to this contract. But let's talk about that in a second. You, sure. you can get access to this report that Drew and I are talking about. If you're emptying the nest, if you're going to be selling a home that you've been in a long time, visit our website, 1210emptynest.com, www.1210emptynest.com to get access to this free report. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Call me directly at 215-945-3000 or visit www.warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. We're speaking with Drew Dickinson from Platinum Realty Team about, you know, emptying the nest, getting a home sold, and the things that need to get done. And we were speaking specifically about finding a good real estate agent to sell your home. And Drew, you were talking about one of the big complaints about real estate agents nationwide is being locked into a long-term contract. Sure, it is. Um, and I think that poor communication is a direct result of that. They feel uh, some agents, listen, there's, there's plenty of good agents out there, but some will say, hey, I got these people locked in. doesn't really matter. They're, they're stuck with me for three or six or nine months to sell their house anyway. So why do I have to jump when, when Mr. and Mrs. Smith give me a call and asking me for an update? And just to be clear on that, I would argue that nobody's consciously saying that to themselves. I think it's more subconscious. No, it it's the difference between It's the difference between being on your toes because you're accountable versus not being accountable. Right. That's really what we're talking about. Yeah, 100%. Um, and... To make ourselves more accountable at our company, we do have 
everything we do, you can cancel with us. So I feel like I'm constantly on my toes because if my clients, if my sellers, if my buyers are not happy with what I'm doing, they can literally fire me. I think that's an important thing, and I feel like that's one of the ways that we differentiate ourselves from everybody else. Um, most people would never take that risk. They would never say, how am I going to invest all the money that it takes to get your listing off the ground, to advertise, to, to, to put it in multiple different websites, and to take pictures and put signs in the ground. But if you know what your system is, and if you know your system's good, and you know that you are qualified to do the job, you should be able to put a little skin in the game, okay? You should be, allowed, you should be taking a little bit of a risk, and that's something that, that we stand behind. All right, so we're moving forward through this list of, of things that empty nesters need to be considering. Let's talk about maximizing the home sale potential. So we're going to have buyers coming through our house. Um, what do we need to do, Drew, to make that happen, first of all? To get the buyers through? Yeah. Yeah, well, advertising is obviously key. You want to make sure that you're home is everywhere that a buyer could possibly be. I would use the word easy. It should be easy to access information about your home. And that does not just mean it's on the web, okay? Let's be very clear. Everyone, of course, every home is going to be thrown somewhere on the internet these days. But access to the home needs to be real easy depending on what the buyer's doing. You know, if I'm driving down the road and I'm driving by your home and I see the for sale sign, can I access it easily? Is there is there an easy to access phone number that's large enough that I can see it where I can just call? I'm obviously not going to start right. looking at the data on my phone when I'm driving down the road at 35 miles an hour. So that's the kind of instant access we're talking about. Right. Yeah, that's important. I mean, and, and selling a house is not one thing. One thing is not going to sell your house. It's the sum of all these little things that add up to, to really a, a good, solid marketing campaign for your house because that's really what it is. We want to make sure when I sit across the table from a seller, I can look them in the eye and I can say, hey, I will make sure that every single buyer who's looking for a home like yours will know about it. And that's important, whether that be the size of the font on our for sale sign or the fact that we present ourselves as having very easy access or, or very accessible home or whether that be, you know, being higher on the list in Zillow and, and REO and, and I mean, and, and um, it's SEO. critical, critical yeah. stuff. We're talking about what to do to get your home sold if you're emptying the nest. And if you're looking to sell your home, remember, I'll actually buy your home if it doesn't sell. Visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Call me at 215-945-3000 to get your home sold now or... Visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for a free report that details this program. So it's now time for Mortgage Matters, where local mortgage market expert Bill Mervin from Annie Mac Mortgage is going to update us on what's going on with the mortgage market. Hi, Bill. How's it going, Warren? It's going great. Good, good. So uh, just wanted to give you kind of some updates on some things that are going on in the business right now. A um, couple things that I think are, are kind of relevant to, to people currently. Uh, number one... We continue to see, in many areas, a loosening of guidelines. So I don't really have any specific to talk about it this, you know, today because there's just been a number of different, and many of them are just kind of small nuances of just different things that extra documentation used to have to previously provide that they've loosened up. And, you know, a big one was, uh, you know, on a conventional mortgage, uh, you know, if you're vacating an existing property, you can uh, use a lease from that property um, where previously there was 
additional regulations on you know additional guidelines on when you could use it and when you couldn't. So I don't I don't know if it's fair for me to ask you to you know go a little deeper on that, yeah. but that that's very interesting because obviously for yeah. folks who are thinking of keeping a home and renting it out. Um, Typically, it's expected that I could use about 75% of the rent. Um, Here's my question. Do I have to already have the lease signed by the new tenant, or can I just use what market rents are if I'm going to start marketing the home once I move out? You do have to have a lease signed, but they don't have to be moved in, because obviously sometimes you're still in the home. Okay. times you are. Uh, So so for example, you could go to contract today. Uh, We could be closing on your home uh, that you're purchasing on August 1st. And any time throughout the end of June or July, uh, a July for in, in throughout the month of July, you could get a lease yeah. on the property, and it could start on June first or uh, August first, or it could even start on August fifteenth. So, it so if have to I've be got a, thirty to sixty days, basically, I could use that to find my tenant, to find the tenant, and then identify the tenant yeah. and have the lease. Yeah. And even though the tenant hasn't moved in yet, the whenever lease it is term may not have even started yet. Right, it, right. The lease term could start. 15 Later. days or a month after. Yeah. So, and, th- and that's the only reason I used that longer date dating was because in a situation sure. like that, if that was really what was needed in order to close on the home, you know, we could do that and you could have that 30 days to try to go out and find that tenant. Now, you could always, you, you were always able to do that, but you previously had to show that you had um, equity in the property. So you had to pay for a second appraisal and you'd have to show that the property you were vacating had equity in it, a certain 25%, um, which, you know, people that bought during the height of the you know, right before the market collapsed, many people weren't, didn't have that that amount of equity. So yeah. and still just, don't. <laughs> yeah, and still don't. So uh, that's just one. That's just one example. Now, that's there's great. been some exceptions. There's some, a couple guidelines have tightened up with FHA, namely school loans. Really, back in September, they made a change on school loans that has affected a lot of people. Where previously you had to be in forbearance. Uh, if you were in forbearance, you didn't have to count that payment. So if you have a lot of school loans, even if you're con- cur- not currently making payments on it. Uh, I've seen probably three or four deals come across my desk since September that fell through with another lender. And a big, on multiple occasions, it was because the lender was not going in and manually entering a payment for a student loan that shows right. zero payment currently. Right. You have to do your due diligence and you have to add that payment in. So, so I'm imagining that there were defaults because you know, some folks around the country, they got loans based on having zero student loan payment, but then their student loan payment came due once they were in the house and they couldn't afford both the student loan and the house. And unfortunately, you you know, or fortunately, however, whoever it is that made the loan, you can get out of a mortgage easier than you can get out of a student loan right now in America. So that's about the hardest thing to get out of. Yeah, Um, you're not getting out of that. So, so yeah, that, that's, I'm sure that's what's behind it. Uh, But it's, you know, it's definitely a discussion in the mortgage business that the, you know, that they may have gone a little too far because it's two percent. So, you know, I, I I'm doing a deal with somebody who you know went to school and, and gets paid very good income. Let's say doctors, dietitians, uh, mm-hmm. you know, went to dentistry school, and you, know, you got one hundred fifty thousand dollars of school loans. You may never pay more than five hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. but uh, if they're in forbearance, the payment you have to use is two percent. So. Two percent on one hundred fifty thousand dollars is three thousand dollars a month. That's going to keep a lot of people from buying homes. Now, the thing that I'll say that not everybody realizes is possible just yet. I know many other lenders are missing, but we've had some success with it. Is even if a loan's in forbearance, you can get a document from them to say, if I was to go into payment today, what would my estimated payment date be? And even though it says this is an estimated payment because you are in forbearance and it hasn't actually started the repayment period, the lender we we will allow you to use. 
that estimated payment. And I will tell you that nine times out of 10, that estimated payment is gonna be less than that 2%. So there are some ways to work around it, but you just definitely need to be careful in the uh, with student loans. It's a, a big change that's happened recently. Hey, look, we're we're speaking about how to get the best possible financing on your home, and you know I appreciate Bill being here from Andy Mac Mortgage. Um, what you can do is we have a special report for you on how to get the best financing on your home. Visit our website, 1210financing.com. That's www.1210financing.com. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Visit www.warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. So we're speaking with Bill Mervin from Annie Mac Mortgage about some of these, you know, recent changes in the mortgage market. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, uh, you know, one other thing that I heard you, you know, heard you speaking about in the last uh, segment that I thought was also, you know, relevant maybe to your listeners was, uh, you know, talking about vetting vetting real estate agents. You know, and, and the idea which which really hit home for me because I have this conversation literally, you know, once a week about, you know, seeing our business as a commodity. Now, sure. you know, I will say that, you know, part of that was ingrained from the cycle that we just went through. And when I say the cycle, refinances was such a big part of the business. And when you're at 6% and you got a bunch of people calling you up and saying, I'll give you 5% or 4% or whatever it was, and a lot of refinances, and you, you could just have a call center. person doesn't have to be particularly good at their job. If they close you in a month, they close you in 45 days, doesn't really matter at the end of the day because it's... You know, it's just a much simpler part of the business. When, when you're buying a home and you've got deadlines that are critical to hit, and when you have, uh, you know, two real estate agents, a buyer, seller, a title company, you've got all these parties involved, um, you know, the, the quality of, of service is critical. You know, I, I explain that when I say talk about the commodity issue, I explain, and some car dealers may, may disagree with me, but, you know, you go to car dealer A, B, and C, and for the most part, you're buying a new car, you're going to walk out of there when you want to buy a Toyota. You're going to walk out of there with a Toyota, and you pay the lowest price. One's going to tell you they're going to give you good service, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you're going to walk away with the same car. Price is really what, what drives drives that decision. When you're talking about buying real estate and, and financing a mortgage, couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, and, and I don't want to use any fear tactics, but I, I've you know, I've seen people in my office, you know, in tears practically. You know, I'm, I'm a month past my date, and this person told me it'd be no problem. You know, uh, I got the estimate, and all of a sudden I'm at the table, and it's two or three thousand dollars more than my estimate. Um, and so, um, I'm not saying don't focus on price and rate, you know, rate and closing costs because they are important. Um, but it it really is critical. So, so well, I think, look your yeah. your business is very unique because the perception is that the service will end the day I close on my home from my lender, yeah. but my payments will go on for. 360 months, yeah. right? Yeah. So I have this perception that it's more important to me to get the rate yeah. than it is to worry about service at all. Yeah. And and even if I am convinced, which many folks are not, that service matters at all when you're talking about a mortgage, um, the fact is the length of my re repayment is so much longer yeah. than what's going to happen here. But the critical point to remember is even if you do take that long view, understand this the wrong loan officer will put you into the wrong mortgage product and you'll be paying for it for the next 360 months. So not only is it a matter of can you even get your home, can you get this done right, and can your life be less miserable than it is for many folks these days in this mortgage world, but also just even identifying everything about you and what's important to you long term is what a good loan officer like Bill's going to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. There are many times where it's not black and white, it's not cut or dry, what the best product is, or diving into some real good questioning uh, in terms of what somebody's goals are, how long they're going to keep the property, et cetera, is going to be critical. Uh, and then there's other times as well. I'll just give you one example, and it's actually was a deal I was doing with, uh, with Drew recently, you know, where a person was with another lender and... Uh, you know, it was there was tip income. It was a little more complicated, and and the other lender said, "Oh, we need to wait six months before we can buy a home." Now, if that person had, you know, now that person, even if that estimate, in this case it wasn't, our rate was actually lower as well. But even if that rate was saving that person five or ten dollars a month, do you think what matters to that person is that five or ten dollars a month, or being able to close on the home? And so, I, you, I just want to repeat yeah. what you said because you said it kind of quickly. <clears throat> you said it was related to tip. Income. So yeah. this was uh, someone in the service industry who relied heavily on tips for their income, yeah. and and clearly that's something that a mortgage company has to treat in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. And and the other company's viewpoint on it was you need to wait six months before you can buy a home. Now this person would have lost an opportunity to potentially you know buy the home that they really loved. They might have paid much more. Interest rates could have gone up, and they could. I mean, the the impact of that person is so much more outsized. Even if that bank had been quoting a lower rate than us, a few bucks a month, a thousand hours in closing costs. My point is, is that I have dozens and dozens of those types of examples where the difference of dealing with somebody who can get the job done and uh, you know is able to a, a be creative and get done things done that other people can't, or structure a deal that's better for uh, you long term in terms of what your goals are, um, or just uh, you know. Just the stress in the process. I'm not saying five dollars a month is nothing, but if you're pulling your hair out and you don't think you got a good deal, and you get to the end of the process and you want to smash the mortgage person, versus a, an experience where you get there and you're like, this, this was, you know, this is a big, big emotional, you know, buying, um, you know, situation for most people, and you know, all of those things go into play. So I'm, I'm not saying to not pay attention to rate and closing costs, but you want to look at many of the things Drew pointed out. Who, where are they getting their business? Are they getting a lot of referrals? You know, what are some references or what are some, you know, you, uh, reviews that they've had? And you want to work with uh, a team and a, and a company that has a, a consistent track record of being able to deliver for, uh, for people. Because if they're not good, you're going you're gonna to see, you know, evidence of that by when, when you start, you know, sn sniffing around. And uh, it's, uh, there's a lot more to it than just uh, what the rate is. It's Bill Mervin from Annie Mac Mortgage. That's great stuff, Bill. Thank you. If you're looking to sell your home, remember, I'll actually buy your home. If it doesn't sell, visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Call Warren at 215 945 or visit my website, warrenhasthebuyers.com for a free report that details this program. So with me now is Drew Dickinson from Platinum Realty Team. We've been talking about empty nesters, right? You're looking to empty the nest, sell the home that you've been calling your home, maybe your family home for a long time. And Drew, we're sort of going through this report here of important things to remember. We were talking earlier about maximizing your home's sales potential, and you were talking about being sure that the home's accessible, easy to access. There was another point I wanted to make. Look, you could, we could do a whole show just on staging tips, and maybe we will coming up. We, we've done some in the past with, with some home stagers, but so I don't want to turn this into that. But I did want to make the point about clutter, okay? And, and there's a couple of points here. The obvious one is that the more stuff that's in your home, the smaller the home looks, okay? So when we walk in and out of homes with buyers, with sellers, we see this all the time, a home that 
you know, maybe you and I, Drew, as professionals, know that this home, this home has really good space. Like this, this is good. This is a really good, you know, fit potentially for this buyer. But if the seller hasn't done a good job of clearing the place out, it doesn't look that way. It looks like, gee, there's no room for anything. And I would say for empty nesters, maybe more so than anyone else, the stuff just accumulates over the years. I mean, you can't do a yard sale every weekend, you know? Right. <clears throat> so that that's a big factor that I would point out. The other thing I wanted to point out about clutter, and this is really important, recognize this. Buyers are making all sorts of assumptions based on bad information in a lot of cases. One of the assumptions that I have heard buyers make over and over again over the years is, well, gee, it doesn't even look like these people are going anywhere. I guess they're not serious about selling their home. Mm -hmm. So understand this, you should look like you're moving. In fact, I've seen situations where having packed boxes helps get the home sold because it signals to a buyer, these guys are serious. They're getting out of here. They want to sell. Maybe we want to make them an offer. So don't be afraid to have some packed boxes in your home. The opposite should be the case. You should be afraid of looking like you've been here for 30 years and you have no intention of going anywhere. You were just throwing the house on the market just to see. So be be cognizant of what it is that's going on in a buyer's, in a buyer's head. Um, the next thing on this list that I wanted to point out is, you know, we talked about making it easy for prospects to get access to your home. But the other one is know your buyer. Now, that's that may seem contradictory we told you earlier in the show don't engage your buyer in one-on-one -on -one conversation without your agent present for sure uh, because the last thing you want is the buyer sort of milking you for information that they could potentially use against you but by the same token you do want to know your buyer and uh, you know i'll, I'll talk, throw it to you drew but there are some ways that sellers can do that right sure <clears throat> uh, one of which is you're going to get well, at least you should get, and I always request what's called a, a buyer's financial information form. That's not, it, does, it serves a bunch of purposes. One of which is to, is to make sure that the buyer is financially qualified to purchase your home. But you can also um, to do some things from that. You know, what do they do for a living? How long have they been doing it for? Where do they currently live? How much are they currently paying in rent? Um, does it look like they need to be somewhere else? I can ask their agent, why, when do they have to be out? So there's a lot of different, just as the buyer is going to want to establish your motivation for selling, I feel like it's part of my job to try to establish their motivation for buying. Okay, and we try to use that to our advantage on that front. It's a great point. And, and just so you know, it is the law in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and not many folks know this, that buyers reveal their financial position. That's the wording in the law. And the best way to do that is using that form that Drew described, which is a buyer's financial information form. Um, right. that, that form has all the information in there that really you need to know and with a calculator that you can figure out, you know, important things like debt to income ratios. It, it's all right there in the form if it's properly filled out. And there's no way we would consider an offer from a buyer without that form because otherwise, how do we know that they can buy the house? The pre no. Let's be clear. Mortgage pre-approval is not enough. Nope. Okay. Mortgage pre-approval is is a verbal. You know, I could call anybody up, and and just tell a loan officer whatever I want to tell them over the phone. And there's really no consequence to me if I'm incorrect with the information that I gave to the loan officer. And the loan officer will generate 
a pre-approval letter for me. And that pre-approval, that's not a guarantee of anything. And so nobody's on the hook when you're looking at a pre-approval letter. The buyer's financial information form, that is the buyer stating specifics about their financial situation. And understand this, if they were dishonest on that form, they're now at, in jeopardy because now they're going to have a t tough time getting their earnest deposit back. If I'm in a transaction with a buyer who lied on their financial information form, I have cause to sue to try to get some or all of that deposit money. Yeah, I, that's, that's a couple of great points there. Early in my career, I really didn't put to my, because I was ignorant of it, but I didn't put much um, importance behind that buyer's financial information form. And time and time and time again, I have other agents, you know, either seller's agents that I'm in a deal with, always circle back to that that we call it in the in the business of BFI. They always want to say, Buyer's oh, well, financial information, right. yeah. So, well, it looks like they have enough money on their BFI. Why are they asking for seller assist? Or, okay, are they, they work in New York. Are they going to be transferring down here? What's the, so there's a lot of stuff that people really consider when they're looking at that. And that's what we're talking about when we say get to know your buyer because. And those are good agents, by the way, that you were dealing right. with there. They're asking the right questions. They're reading the right documents and, and they're doing their job. That's excellent. They should. And I, I was just always surprised. I mean, you guys actually look at that. And <laughs> I tell you what, they look at that a heck of a lot more than they're looking at that pre-approval because like Warren said, um, they're not a dime a dozen, but let's face it, you can get a lot of different people to say you're pre-approved and there's no, there, there's no consequence. That's why when we're on the flip side of that equation, when we're working with buyers, we work very hard to get our buyers mortgage commitments. Okay, that's that's light years ahead of a mortgage pre-approval where this buyer's been looked at thoroughly, and we can prove that to the seller. Hey, listen, this is this is the real deal. You know, all we need is your house to appraise, and our guys are good to go. You don't have to worry about whether or not they lied to their to their loan officer. We're talking about. Getting your home sold when you're emptying the nest, a home that you've been in a long time. And you can get access to this report that we're discussing. Just visit 1210EmptyNest.com. These are the things you need to know to make this a smooth transition. That's 1210EmptyNest.com. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax from Platinum Realty Team. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Call me directly at 215-945-3000 or visit warrenhasthebuyers.com for more details. So we're speaking with Drew Dickinson from Platinum Realty Team about things to consider if you're emptying the nest. And I guess the next one is... Drew, um, let's make sure that the contract is complete and that it's properly put yeah. together. That may seem obvious, <laughs> but um, that that's a big deal when we're talking about getting a home sold because you know it seems like most of the laws, most of the culture is out there to protect buyers these days. Who's looking out for you, the home seller? Basically us, your agent. We're the right. only ones really that are in the seller's corner. Everyone else, you know, the inspectors, the government entities, to be honest, they're all looking out for the buyer's behalf. Only the seller and the seller's agent really are on the seller's side. Yeah, that's that's 100% true. There seems like there's a million different ways for a buyer to get out of a contract, okay? So it's up to your agent to protect you, you know, and make sure that you minimize those ways, okay? Eliminate as much of the gray area up front, okay? Let's so you know you want to be advised properly when it comes to disclosing things about your house. You don't want to, you want to kind of cut those things off before they even become an issue. You want to eliminate all the buyers outs. Okay. You don't want them to have, because let's face it, you're, you're, 
you're sacrificing some time that you could be selling your house to somebody else. Once you accept a contract and you decide to pull your home off the market, who knows? Maybe there was somebody who was about to start looking tomorrow that would have been a perfect buyer for your house. So you want to vet these buyers properly and try to eliminate as, as many ways as possible as they would have to, to terminate an agreement. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Warren Flax on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Warren Flax. Remember, I'll buy your house if it doesn't sell. Visit www.warrenhasthebuyers.com for details. We had a great show tonight with Bill Mervin from Annie Mac Mortgage giving us some great insights into how the mortgage regulations are just finally starting to loosen up a little bit, and that's going to help you know increase our chances of getting loans. And Drew Dickinson from Platinum Realty Team discussing how to empty the nest, moving on and downsizing and avoiding the pitfalls that seem to be happening more and more. I also want to thank our show engineer, Frank Canal. Next week, no matter who you are, empty nester, trade-up seller, you could be losing thousands of dollars if you don't handle the negotiations well. We'll have our negotiations experts on hand to make you a fortune. That's next week and every Saturday from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. It's Keeping It Real with Warren Flax. I'm Warren Flax.